Hey guys, welcome to another episode of Story Forward, the podcast that covers the future of storytelling and entertainment from arcs and apps to the wild west of the web and beyond. It's Thursday, November 5th, 2015, and this is episode 81 of Story Forward. I'm your host, Steve Peters, and I'm an experienced designer and founder of No Mimes Media here in Los Angeles, California. Well, today, folks, we've got an encore presentation of a uh, episode in the past. This is where we uh, replay kind of the reruns of, of, of popular episodes. And in this particular one, we uh, talk with Mike Selinker of Lone Shark Games, whose puzzles appear regularly in Games Magazine and the Chicago Tribune and the New York Times. And uh, this is an, uh, an episode where we uh, chatted with him, me and J.C. Hutchins, who was my co-host at the time, talked to him about all sorts of fun, cool stuff. It's a really good episode, so I'm going to just turn it over to the past here as we go back in time to talk with Mike Selinker of Lone Shark Games. Well, it is our absolute honor and pleasure to have Mike Selinger on the show. Mike is a renowned puzzle maker. He's the president of uh, Lone Shark Games in Seattle. He was, uh, back in the 90s, he was the game inventor and creative director of Wizards of the Coast, so I'm having a minor fangasm here. <laughs> and he's also, um, his puzzles and his puzzle articles appear regularly in Games Magazine and the, the Chicago Tribune and other places. Mike, it is an absolute pleasure to have you on the show. Yo, JC, happy to be here. This is a this is good. I got my Air Force Twelves on. I'm ready to ready to <laughs> podcast all night. Word. So, so Mike, you know, you did you did uh, tell us before before your call that this was a brand new USB headset. Is it working out for you? Yeah, you know, it it, it feels all sense around. I hope uh, <laughs> I hope everybody's hearing me in the full definition that I am coming to myself right now. I mean, you sound I, a little I am noise canceling. I am uh, 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 clicked on in the, uh, there's like five buttons here. I have no idea what they do. So I might just experiment with them. Mike, Mike you, you sound like to us, you sound like Darth Vader right now. Can you hit another? Awesome. I, I, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> Let me just, I'll just switch these buttons around. Well, it is a, it's a, it's a delight to have you on on the show, sir. Um, you know, we've got um, lots to talk to you about. Um, I'm probably going to send us down a, 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 a brief uh, winding road talking about wizards, your work for wizards of the coast years ago, but um, why don't, and we certainly want to talk about the maze of games, this interactive puzzle novel that you are, that you're presently uh, promoting on kicks Kickstarter. But before we get there, Mike, I mean, you are renowned as a, as a puzzle maker, but one of the things that I'm certain many of our listeners and I certainly don't know is how did you get into this business? What, what's your superhero origin story? Well, uh, there was this radioactive spider that uh, <laughs> crawled up my arm, and I killed that and decided about to be a this. puzzle maker instead. Nice. Because, I mean, come on, who wants to be swinging from the, the buildings right. when you can be sitting in your house writing crossword puzzles? <laughs> so, no, um, I, I, got, uh, I got into this when I was a dumb young kid. Um, I, uh, back in the day where there were these things called magazines. What? Um, I don't know if you remember those. We, uh, you know, there was Games Magazine and Dragon Magazine and all that. And uh, um, I just, I, I opened one of them up and I said, you know, I want to do this. And I sent in a crossword puzzle or I think it was an acrostic puzzle to Games Magazine and a, a dungeon module to Dragon. And they printed them. Get out. I was like, was yeah, this your, I was first, like, your first try? Yeah, I was like 13 years old. Get out. Wow. So I just assumed that's how it went. 
<laughs> right. <laughs> and you were instantly like, hooked. You know, like all these people out there were starving for content and they, <laughs> they would just take whatever came over the door. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right? Sure, um, sure. So, so, yeah, I just kept at it. And uh, when I was um, going into college at age 17, you know, I was like, I got to put myself through college. I mean, my, I got my tuition paid for, but I got to like eat and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so... Uh, I just made puzzles and games through college to pay my bills and never really had a real job at any point in my life. Um, (laughs) So it's not the road that most people get to go down. But in my case, you know, that's not technically true. I was an investigative reporter in in Chicago for a long time. So so I did have a real job, I guess. But, um, you know, I mean, I just sort of, uh, always had this passion for for making people squirm, and uh, that you know was like, how do I how do I befuddle people? How do I you know puppet master them? You know, and we were making the first uh, some of the first proto args at Wizards uh, back in the mid nineties. Right. You know, it was all about hey, we got this new medium uh, called the internet. I wonder if people would like to be you know, stumped. I wonder if people would like to go down crazy primrose garden paths. And, uh, you know, people kept giving me that opportunity. And eventually I decided to um, make that opportunity available to some other people by starting my own company after I left Wizards. And uh, so now I've got a really great team. So it's kind of come full circle, you know, bringing on people who are, who, uh, you know, are 19, 20 years old and, you know, trying to get them, get them the same breaks I got when I was, when I was young and, and impressionable. We've, we've known each other a few years, but we've never actually met in person, I don't think, but you're up in the Seattle area. Is that right? Actually, no one has ever met me. Oh, yeah. This cave on Skullcrack (laughs) that I don't, I don't let people into. Um, But tell us a little bit about, uh, a little bit about Lone Shark Games and kind of some of the work you've done, especially I'm really interested in talking about kind of the proto-args you mentioned. Yeah, so, um, well, at Wizards, we, we figured out a lot of ways to, to entertain people and I was starting to get. Um, you know, I'd worked on all the, all the games I'd worked on Dungeons and Dragons. I relaunched Axis and Allies and Risk Godstorm and, you know, all those Betrayal at House on the Hill, all those, those great tabletop games. And I was looking for something where in addition to still doing games like that, um, we could, we could have a company that did that, but also, do return back to that sort of alternate reality game puzzle hunt uh, vibe that that we really kicked off um, back in the day, right? Before there were things like The Beast and um, uh, I Love Bees, which really were the groundbreakers. You know, we were playing around in that sandbox. Mm-hmm. And I, I kind of saw those things take off and said, well, I really like doing those. So... You know, we we got going on um, things like um, your listeners may remember uh, Citizens of Virtue, which was the arg for Rob Bell's book that um, that started off with a 
um, uh, a, uh, a a letter that went out to all the ARG community that was right. condemning ARGs <laughs> from a religious viewpoint uh, and just totally shocked everybody. And then we went to Wired with um, – they, they brought us in on the Vanish Project uh, where reporter Evan Ratliff disappeared for a month and we God, challenged the internet that. to find them. That's right. We did, uh, then we did Repo Men which was even more crazy than that, where we had four people running around the country with, with artificial organs. Right. Oh, shit, I remember that too. Damn it! I didn't know that you were the. I didn't know that you guys were the guys behind this stuff. So you're yeah, kind of you're kind of blowing my my mind. I've got a big grin over here. <laughs> I do like I do like mind blown. So you know, I mean, I wanted a company that could do that uh, that kind of thing, um, but also make traditional games because I love. I mean, fundamentally. Uh, everything I do supports my hobby of being a tabletop game designer, <laughs> right? I mean, nobody makes a huge amount of money at that. But, uh, you know, I mean, uh, I really have had the opportunity to work with the best people in the business a lot of the time and and just get a bandwidth through through Wired and through um, through the – you know, people like Universal Studios and stuff like that to put themselves in my hand and say, I hear you know how to do something crazy. And so we, we just have had a, a really great, a really great run. And, um, you know, we've gotten to the point where we can, you know, finally get to start doing our own projects where, where not only are we we doing that kind of thing, but we can we can do them based on things we want to create as as much as the things that uh, other people want us to create for them. Now, Mike, you mentioned um, earlier in in the chat this great it's a great quote. I like to watch or I like to make people squirm. Yeah. And, and as as someone who um, has a lot of admiration for game design and puzzle design, but is not one by trade um, and, and is often easily befuddled by by puzzles. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of I, I look at your craft very kind of enviously and, and I kind of shake my fist at puzzle makers because they often make me feel not stupid, but but stunted. <laughs> and stupid is not a bad word for it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and, and so and so i'm really kind of keen but i think that that really kind of captures the the cat that ate the canary kind of position that you and other puzzle makers you kind of put yourselves in um can you kind of tell us a little bit more about the appeal of puzzle making and and making games like this it's 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 different for everybody i'm sure but for me i mean the term puppet master was I don't think I mean I didn't come up with it but was was very quickly applied to me um when we were doing these these early projects and and I do really like that it comes out of being um you know being a dungeon master mm -hmm, mm -hmm. right back in the mm -hmm, day and, right. and all that um and uh and you know just uh getting people excited about putting themselves in my hands and seeing what happens to them. We have a, a phrase that we use um, called fall back into the arms of God, which is when you, when you get into an ARG or a puzzle event or something, you lose the ability, you, you sort of voluntarily give up 
the control over your own destiny. You know, you're just seeing where the ride takes you. And so my job has always been to build the coolest rides. And I got that experience recently uh, when we when we worked on a game called Sorcerers of the Magic Kingdom, uh, which is this game at Disney World where you get cards that uh, you show in front of magic mirrors and they summon Disney villains for you to fight them. Oh, I didn't know you guys were working on that too. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I mean it was just like – Basically, Disney came to us and said, "We want to put a we want to put the world's greatest theme park in your hands," you know, and that that sort of was like a summary of, or not a summary, but a, a validation of all the choices that I made as a as a puzzle maker and as a game designer. Which is like, people really like it when you when you take them by the hand and just say, come with me. This is going to be awesome. By the way, I haven't told you where we're going. <laughs> right. It really is a leap of faith on the, on the, on the side of, you know, a paying client or even just the yeah. recipient of, or player of, of, a, of a puzzle or a game. Yeah. We, I've pretty we, much found that most of my clients are in fact fans. <laughs> That's cool. But like cool. most of the people who come to us say, I have no idea how you do what you do, but I want to be a part of it. And that's, that's very rewarding. I think that, um, that the ability to just, you know, it, it's funny that a lot of people think it's about matching wits with the, the puzzle maker, right? Um, the, the thing that was exciting to me about alternate reality games was the sense that I could put something out there and the entire internet would work as one to mm -hmm. break it. Mm -hmm. You know, that's pretty powerful, right? That's a sense of, I'll, I'll make something for you and I'll bet all of you in the world can't beat me. Right. And of course they always do. <laughs> <laughs> the hive mind is, is yeah. pretty insurmountable. I don't, I don't actually try to make things that people can't break. Well, anybody can make that's I've often that's said, easy. you know, anybody can make a really hard puzzle. That's right. It's easy to do that. It's, right. The trick is to make a puzzle that is incredibly hard and yet, when people be sure that people are going to solve it. Right. Well, what do you mean? Uh -huh. Well, okay. So, so I know that you guys are kind of like jaded veterans at this, but again, I'm kind of, I'm the, I'm the, I'm the newcomer here. What do you mean by that? Making, there's a difference between a purely difficult puzzle and one that actually is, is inviting. Uh, well, there's a lot of theory behind it, but, but basically, so I just wrote a book um, called puzzle craft, which will be out next month. Uh, and it is how to make all the types of puzzles. Right. And there's a lot of theory in that book. But fundamentally, it comes down to the difference between a puzzle and a game. So a game is a, a, a construct under which all things being equal, both, both participants have the same advantages and they have a roughly equal chance to win. Mm -hmm. Whereas a puzzle, uh, the situation is very different. Uh, one, slide, one side, the creator has all the advantages. They know everything about the puzzle. They know how it's going to end. They know uh, how it's structured. They know what it's for. And the other side has no, none of that information. And the other side is expected to win. Right. Right. That the people with none of the advantages are expected to triumph over the people who know everything. And that's an right. important relationship between the puzzle maker and and the puzzle solver. I am 100% certain I can stump everybody I 
encounter simply by not giving them enough roadmaps sure, sure. To, right, get, right. to get there. But the trick is I just have to make it so that figuring out my roadmaps is the challenge. All the checkpoints matter, right? All the little steps along the way where you just go, oh, yeah, no, I get it. That makes perfect sense. Let's keep going. And yeah, the yeah. little the little indicators that uh, you build into something, whereas they make little incremental steps forward in the right direction, there's feedback to kind of let them know that, yeah, they are on the right track. Yeah. A lot of people um, have heard my Rubik's Cube story, and so I apologize to anybody who's heard it before, but um, I have a Rubik's Cube in my house, I'm looking at it right now, that is entirely red. <laughs> And uh, the thing about it is I can use it exactly like a Rubik's Cube. I can scramble it up for you uh, and tell you to put it back in the right order. And you can do that. The problem is I've given you no checkpoints along the way, and I don't have any way to tell you that you're done because all the faces are the same. You can be doing it all day long, and I can just watch you and say, "Mm, nope, doesn't look done, right? Whereas with a real Rubik's Cube, you can keep – solving it until you actually solve it. You look at it and realize I'm done. That's a huge distinction. And so so crafting a puzzle like that is is really important. I mean, you, you want to make it so that people have guide points along the way and really uh, feel like they're digging themselves further into something that they're they're very much enjoying, even if they're cursing your name the whole time. <laughs> well, you know, and th- it, this kind of brings up this notion of of fairness, if that yeah. makes if that makes sense, right. and it, and it's something that I certainly you know as as an avid video game player and as a role playing game you know player of uh, years and years ago, you know there I under, understood and appreciated rules and systems, but I never really applied that that creative kind of philosophy to to puzzle design. You, you got to be you got to be focused on things like balance and pacing and and all that stuff and and all the things you learn in screenwriting school. Not that I've ever been to screenwriting school. But um, it, it apply to puzzle design too. I mean, you have to have character and story and and just really great reasons to stay involved. But I mean, you know, once you figure out how to do it, everybody wants you to keep doing it. I promise this will be my last question, and then Steve, you can <laughs> you can take the mic. But but again, I'm just endlessly fascinated by this. I imagine that that much like I, as a consumer of of film or novels can very quickly kind of discover the style uh, and say that's a Spielberg movie even before I see the the credits or, or that's a that's a King novel before I see the cover as I as I read a book are there ways to kind of get a verve for a particular puzzle creators work? oh yeah uh, there's like a personality or a verve that you feel absolutely really um, my co-author Thomas Snyder uh, on Puzzlecraft is, in, in my opinion, the world's best creator. Well, sorry, at the very least, America's best creator of logic puzzles. Uh, those are, you know, things like Sudoku. His, his nickname is Doctor Sudoku, and his his he creates logic puzzles like Sudoku and um, uh, other kinds of visual logic and such. But he is so elegant and so clever. I mean, you look at his stuff and you go, "There's this one Sudoku he did where, where um, it was the all uh, all the shapes were not squares, but instead um, states in the in the United States." I mean, and you just looked at him and went, "How did a human being do that?" Well, it's because he knows how to do it, right? And so everybody has a different style. I mean, uh, you you will know when you're getting um, a uh, 
uh, it's the same is true with with arg designers right i mean just everybody expects to in my case i think there's a lot of i'm going to brace myself because there's there's a level to this that i'm not seeing that mike hasn't told me about right and so cuz i got that that arg designer thing going on in me, right? Where <laughs> other people, it's like, how clever can my wordplay be, or how how few few entries can I put into this crossword puzzle? Because that's a thing, right? Um, and so you'll definitely find that the different puzzle makers will reward you differently. Uh, I, I at least I think so. I think it's true about games. It's probably true about every type of uh, creative endeavor. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. I mean, and just like most authors that. Definitely yep. puzzle makers have a signature that sometimes it's hard to kind of quantify, but you, you can kind of definitely tell. Like if you follow people, it kind of almost helps you solve things later on because you kind of know how their mind works. Yeah, let me tell you a story about the World Puzzle Championship in 2000. Um, so the World Puzzle Championship is a uh, an event where the best puzzle solvers from every country come together. The team of four people comes from from each of the countries. So there's a team from Japan, team from Germany, team from France, whatever. Um, and I was asked uh, to help design the team challenge, uh, which was a thing that where we basically took. Uh, these Mr. Potato Heads and and assign them each part a different number and they had to figure out all sorts of crazy puzzles involving turning the pieces over of, and uh, all sorts of things. Anyhow, there was this one puzzle where I uh, – it was a very quote-unquote simple challenge where you had to take 10 10-digit 10 numbers and put them into a 10 by 10 grid um, where with at least one going across and one going down. It's a very simple concept, but it turns out to be very difficult to try to do that. Well, the German team um, decided to do it the the brute force method. They went, okay, let me put the top one of these into the top row. Nope. Let me put it into the next row down. Oh wait, that might work with these two things. Well, nope. You know, and they continued in this iterative computer-like method. Mm -hmm. The French team just looked at me and said, "I'll bet that guy put." Three, three numbers on the bottom. They solved me rather than solving the puzzle. <laughs> and they won, right? Because they said, all right, I'm going to take a leap of faith that that guy mm. is going to try to stop the computer-style brute force that we can pretty much count on the Germans to do, <laughs> right? Nice. And so, you know, I mean, that that's just about getting getting a sense of the person who's uh, being your puppet master, who's taking you along for the ride. I mean, it's a Willy Wonka thing, right? right. If you go in without understanding that, um, you know, how playful and, and somewhat malevolent he is, you know, you're not going to enjoy the ride, right? And uh, and so that's that's kind of the role that I've tried to take when I design these things. Nice. nice. So, so moving into the present again, I mean, yes, based on this, you've got – you've been working on something for the past – it's been over a decade, right, that you're finally releasing, and that's your new book, Maze of Games. Yeah. Um, so uh, what it is is it's a puzzle novel, and that's not really a thing, so I might have to explain what that is. Um, it's a puzzle novel. is not uh, It's not a book with puzzles. It's not a novel with puzzles in it, and it's not a puzzle with some fictional text in it, right? What it is is it's a book arranged like a puzzle. And so the... The important thing to understand about it is that the pages are in the wrong order, 
Um, you have to solve your way through this book to make it make sense. All the words are in front of you. It all, you know, you you read a page at a time, and it sounds pretty great. But to understand the story, to follow the main characters through their quest, you have to actually solve all the puzzles in the book. And so, the um, the the story is that uh, it's 1897 in England. These two kids, uh, Colleen and Samuel, discover this musty old book, which summons a skeletal guardian named the Gatekeeper. And he plunges them into a series of increasingly dangerous and puzzling mazes. And you have to solve the mazes. Sorry, they have to solve the mazes and encounter all these strange monsters and characters. As they break through each maze, they get closer and closer to getting out. And as you, as the solver, you have to break through the process of, of where do I go next oh, now that I've gotten to this page, I understand why this character picked up this item. So I can then imagine what use it will be in the future for them, you know, that kind of thing. And eventually you fight your way through the book and make your make your way out uh, past the final maze. Um, it's, uh, it's a project that I've wanted to do for a long time, and, um, and now I'm finally getting a chance to do uh, through a couple of... of wonderful things that have happened so was it kind of dependent on technologies that have become available or is this something that you could have just published as a regular book well my original intent was to publish as a regular book no i'm sorry let me rephrase my original intent was to have somebody pay me to for right for them to publish it there you go (laughs) right and that was my idea way back when I first came up with the idea in, in 1995 and, and wrote a draft of it. And I was crushed. I mean, you know, you know how the, uh, the, the cartoon image of the wave of rejection letters? Well, it was like <laughs> right? It was like there is no way that people are going to pay money for a book whose pages are in the wrong order, for God's sake, right? And so I sort of put it away in my hard drive. Uh, in successive hard drives for quite some time. Um, and, uh, you know, thought, well, that was something I did, but it'll never get released because nobody's ever going to sign on to make make this book. Uh, and then, um, then the, everything changed um, through the uh, uh, rise of Kickstarter, mm-hmm. right? And mm-hmm. I said, okay, well, I have a way to make this book come out now. I could ask people if they want it. And if they do, they'll give me a little money and I'll be able to make it. Um, secondly, the other advancement that came along was uh, a Seattle technology company called Pizzazz came out, P-U-Z-Z-A-Z-Z. And what Pizzazz came up with was a way to solve puzzles on the iPad and the Kindle and the, the iPhone uh, using your finger. Um, basically you could use your finger as a pencil Mm -hmm. and it would record what you did and respond to it. Um, you know, saying, Oh, you've drawn a B that square is correct. Right. Wow. And so I went, okay, so I can make my physical book and people can, can flip through the pages and use pencil to solve things. But I can also make, uh, a truly, you know, 2010s book that has interactive that, that has interactivity and is is uh, confirming answers as you go along and and giving you new content and all that. Um, so 
I, I saw these things as a, a tremendous opportunity. Um, you know, when asked, uh, are you ever going to do a Kickstarter? I said, well, I would like to do one. What do we got? I said, well, I got this thing. I think anybody would want it. Well, we put some effort into getting a Kickstarter together, and it turned out that uh, a few people did, in fact, want it. Yeah, like like 1,600 <laughs> people at, at, as of right now. Your original goal, uh, fundra- fundraising goal, was $16,000. At the time of this recording, you are well past $102,000. Yeah. Um, we, we hit our fundraising goal in four and a half hours. <laughs> nice. Oh, man. That was rather unexpected. Um, uh, we, we got to 80,000 in the first week, right? I mean, all of our plans were thrown into complete disarray, right? Right. Because we, we, we didn't imagine that we were going to get halfway there the entire campaign, right? Like we were hoping, we were pretty sure that over the entirety of the campaign, we would get $16,000. Now, right? l- let me let me ask you this, though. I mean, to put it in context, too, I mean, is there like a Lone Shark Games community of people that follow your stuff? Yeah, I'd say so. Okay. So, I mean, that yeah, definitely, definitely helps, right? I mean, I'm not, I'm not. I'm, yeah. I I'm mean, I don't to... wanna, yeah. Basically, what I said was uh, I'm launching this at 2 p.m. on whatever day it was, Thursday. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some limited things that you have to be there to get uh, if they're, and once they're gone, they're gone. And um, what I wasn't prepared for was that at least, you know, 500 people were waiting by their computers <laughs> for me to hit the launch button. Oh, here's a useful um, – for those of you considering Kickstartering something and you uh, uh, decide that you want to time something specifically to a, a, <laughs> an hour that you're launching it or to a specific minute, um, there's a big green launch button on the Kickstarter page before you've launched it, right? It has a little rocket ship on it. makes you really excited about hitting it. And so I didn't hit it about 10,000 times. And then when it came time to hit it, I'm like – my my assistant Gabby was sitting next to me. I said, "All right, I'm ready to hit the button." And it clicks over to two o'clock. She says, "Hit the button." I hit the button, and a whole new form pops up. <laughs> on <the screen>. <laughs> <laughs> you agree to the following terms? Would you like this? I'm like, wait, what? Son of a bitch! <laughs> and so I'm like clicking things left. I don't know what I agreed to. <laughs> right, but, but so so if you're wondering if you were sitting there waiting. For this and wondering why at 201 or 202 I hadn't hit the button. I was trying to hit the button, man. Well, this is well. I mean, but but this kind of this um, remarkable. I mean, remarkable outpouring of support suggests that yes, certainly Lone Shark Games, you know, has a certain level of credibility and fandom in the space. But I think this. I I think it's safe to say this probably transcends that in the levels of yeah by quite a bit in the levels of support. And it, it just reminds me of how like many subcultures puzzle people are passionate about this hobby. Yeah, it was, I mean, the reason it was, I think it happened, well, there, there are a couple of things that, that did it. One was that the project is unique. I mean, there isn't anything like it. Nobody in the 18 years since I came up with it came up with it after that, right? And so I was like, you know, eventually that's going to end. I should really publish this book. But the, um, the so that was one. But the other thing was just um, how... There hadn't really been much in the way of puzzle campaigns on Kickstarter. There have been games and stuff. Also, novels 
there weren't weren't very many of those either in a lot of ways. Although there were a lot of them, that they, they were always very um, uh, uh, niche oriented. And so, I what I seem to have tapped into. I can't presume I'm right about this, but what I seem to have tapped into was uh, a tremendous desire for the type of interactive content that the three of us are are very familiar with, but a lot of people don't get exposed to. Right, the novelty of it, sure, sure. They don't sure. know it's out there. They don't know how interactive storytelling works. I mean, your listeners all know that, but but a lot of people were like, this has never, never been seen before. And, and in, in all truth, I mean, I'm, I'm borrowing ideas that I've come up with over the years, but that other people have done too. I mean, the, the really exciting thing about it was how willing people were to believe that what we were going to produce would be amazing. It's it's almost like an extension of the, the leap of faith that you know a consumer of a puzzle or you know a, a player in an arg might have. Um, I'm kind of keen to get us back to the topic of the contents of the book, if only for a few minutes. Um, we've kind of focused on the text and the narrative there, but um, I'd love to learn more about the illustrations that are in the book uh, and and also the different kinds of puzzles that um, supporters might expect when when they get their books. Uh, well, I, I couldn't do this project alone. I, I got my favorite, one of my favorite artists, um, a guy named Pete Venters, who Magic the Gathering fans will all know. Oh, yes. Uh, and uh, uh, I said, I, I need your unique vision to bring these characters to life. If, you, if, you, if your readers get a chance to look at the page, they'll see the gatekeeper, who I had in my head for 18 years. And... I, I knew exactly what he looked like, and then Pete drew him and blew that apart, hmm. right? I mean, I don't even remember what I thought he looked like, <laughs> because now he looks like that, and he right. looks amazing. That's cool. Right, right and I've right seen on. some of Pete's upcoming art for this thing. It was just going to blow people away, and it's going to be fully integrated into the book, into the puzzle series, and all that, right? Um, and, you know, I got the uh, one of my favorite graphic designers, too, Elisa Teague. Um, she's come up with just all these amazing treatments that makes it feel like it's a book from the 1890s. I mean, it's not going to feel modern in any way. Uh, it's going to feel like you dusted it off in a library. Um, the, the other thing that um, we did is, you know, the puzzles are also current to 1897, um, so there's no damned. mention of, yeah, there's no mention of, of pop culture that we have now, technology, there was, you know, all these things. And that makes it really feel like you're in a time capsule, um, that this thing is not something you would normally gain. I think people have been really responsive to that. Are you a fan of that era, Mike? I think so. Uh -huh. I mean, I think, uh. Uh, you know, I wouldn't say I'm an expert on it, but I, I certainly like if you ask me to list my favorite books, um, uh, they would start with Pride and Prejudice and uh, Jane Eyre. Right. And so um, and, you know, I mean, uh, the main character first discovers this thing, not by finding the book called The Maze of Games, but by finding the book, this brand new book that's just come out called Dracula. Right. <laughs> and I remember nice. my first experience, you know, when I was 10 or whatever, reading Dracula mm -hmm. and I want to be there, yeah. you know? And so, yeah, I really do like that, 
that time period, and I, I feel like I'm ignorant enough about it so that what I come up with will be uh, still have some novelty mm-hmm, to it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, like if somebody's coming in saying, "I'll oh, bet this is going to be perfect Victoriana," I'm probably going to, you know, not not hit it exactly, but it's going to feel like it's a little bit out of time and uh, and all that. I mean, I think it's I think that that's it, it. Definitely gives me a chance to write a story that I really couldn't tell today. Nobody's coming to me and asking me to write the Downton Abbey arc arg. <laughs> you know, I mean, as, as well, they shouldn't. Right. Exactly. <laughs> so, so, you know, it's, it's pretty neat to be able to get, yeah. get my head into that realm. Um, and, you know, having Pete along really makes that possible. Having Elisa along, we were having a great discussion. We had a creative team meeting today just about, um, you know, all these period piece, Victoriana clip art books that are out there. Right. And, you know, could we make some use of that style of of art, you know, the the kind of early Sears and Robot mm-hmm, catalogs mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and such? I mean, we got to play with that a little bit on the the J.J. Abrams issue of Wired that we did. But uh, this will give you a really deep, deep dive into that. Nice. Well, now we'll obviously be putting links to the Kickstarter in the in the show notes, but I wanted to talk about a couple things about the actual Kickstarter campaign that are pretty unique. Yeah. And the first of it, which is obviously you've got a, a kind of a cool puzzle trail embedded within the Kickstarter campaign itself. Can you talk a little bit about that without giving too much away? Yeah. Um, so when I started out, I said, I am going to design a, an ARG masquerading as a Kickstarter campaign. I mean, I, <laughs> and no, I mean, no fears, everybody, there is going to be a book at the end of this. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> but in the sense of everything has something behind it, there's a, there's embedded puzzles all over the place. I think we're up to like 35 of them so far and we're halfway through the campaign. I mean, you're getting, you know, if it's a, if if it's our content, your your listeners like. I mean, there's there's been things embedded in videos and in the Kickstarter page itself, and in the updates, and in the interviews I've done, and in the um, just everywhere. There's been something that you could uh, feel like you need to look behind and and listen closely to, and so. People along the way are gaining uh, badges for the puzzles that they've found. I haven't even told everybody what all the badges are that they could have found by this point, right? But there's like, oh, we just got the Century Club badge and we just got the, you know, the the Maze Breaker badge and stuff like that. People are, are and I, by the way, I encourage this quite a bit, um, changing their Facebook and Twitter and and Google icons to those badges, these people would never have talked to each other on Kickstarter before. We probably have more comments on our our project than than most uh, Kickstarter campaigns have ever seen, right? Because people are we throw down a challenge every week that's sort of a creative challenge. Like this week's, um, uh, we uh, you guys familiar with the Gree Riddle? G R Y. Um, you know there are two. There are three. Common words uh, that end in G-R-Y, angry, hungry, and what is the third? Well, there is no third. It's a lie. 
And we decided to say, that's stupid. Let's do it ourselves. Let's get a um, get people to write the Gree riddle over, but this time using three different letters that actually makes for a good riddle, right? So we've gotten 40-plus submissions of better versions of that horrible riddle, right? And so, you know, it builds a community. It gets people talking to each other that would never have met each other before, just like a good alternate reality game does. I didn't even have to make the forum myself. I, I knew it would just sprout up. And, nice. uh, you know, it's basically parasiting on the Kickstarter page, right? Just saying, come over here for your puzzle content. But it, it's definitely built uh, a community that, that would not have existed without Kickstarter. Nice. That, I mean, that, and that, that's where your, you know, your experience having done these really, really pays off. Um, you've got some interesting um, stretch goals as well too, don't you? Yeah. People as stretch goals. I've never heard of this before. <laughs> well, I didn't come up with the idea myself. Um, my friend Robin Laws is an RPG designer and he uh, did a project called Hill Folk where as you went along, you would unlock, uh, you, you would get another author to contribute a, a story setting for his role-playing game, which I thought was neat, mm-hmm. um, but didn't quite go far enough in my mind. Um, so I said, all right, I'm going to get the best puzzle makers in the world. Um, I got, um, you know, people who folks know and then people who maybe not so well known, but, but just single best people I know. Uh, so we got... Um, uh, uh, Ken Jennings, who's the Jeopardy champ, and uh, um, Cliff Johnson, who's the the guy who did A Fool and His Money, and and um, uh, all all the great puzzle makers that that are out there. And I threw them into a cage, and I said, "You guys don't get out unless the fans unlock you." Uh, <laughs> one at a time, they've been released from this cage, and they're they're. Uh, Payment for being released is that they must write us a puzzle. I love the mythology. Right. <laughs> so, so people have pretty. It, it's given people something to talk about, right? Yeah. Like, oh my gosh, we've got to get uh, 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 Scott Kim out of this cage, or you know, he won't do a puzzle for us, right? And so, it's also moved the dialogue in some sense, right? It's like now we're over on. Uh, Ken's page. Now we're on Thomas Snyder's page. Now we're on uh, um, uh, Francis Heaney's uh, Facebook page or whatever, right? Like it, it. All those people who are fans of them come along, and when we create this puzzle book, uh, it will. It, it's given the puzzle makers a chance to stretch their mind out and and think. Okay, if I were a puzzle maker writing in the 1890s, what would I produce? And people want to see that. I want to see that. Um, I basically built this project out of a book um, that came out uh, in 1912 called Sam Lloyd's uh, Cyclopedia of 5,000 Puzzles, Tricks, and Conundrums. And it was the coolest thing I ever owned, um, where it was just uh, one after another of these puzzles from the 1900, early 1900s. And I was just like, I want to write that book someday. Well, I'm going to do that. I'm going to put it in the back of this book as it's the book that the characters, the the main characters in this uh, story are solving on their way to the maze of games. How cool. So, so here's one of, one of these things, Mike, where I'm going to ask to kind of peek behind the curtain a little bit. You you told, you told us earlier in the conversation that 
you know, you were kind of just praying to cross the $16,000 mark right. here. Yeah, and, right. and, and yet, you know, I look at the, the stretch goals and this remarkable list of, uh, of creators who are kind of at tiered prices that go up to and uh, past $100,000. My, my curiosity here is that had you, in fact, planned for this level of success or hoped for, or was this, holy shit, we just crossed the 16000 mark, I've got to call all my friends. <laughs> Well, I did call a lot of them to start. I did, did. I did get to call some more after that point. Um, but the um, what one of the things that happened in the explosive growth of the first couple of days is that my, if you look at my original plan, I was like doing it, planning to do it like every thousand dollars. And then I then they just got overwhelmed because the like Dan Katz and um, Eric Harshbarger didn't even get to see their bios on the site before they were set free. Holy right? cow. It's like, oh my God, <laughs> I've got to slow this train down. <laughs> Otherwise, all the things I've planned to do will be gone in the first week. Right. And so so that's why there's suddenly there's like these big gaps after that point where it's every $5,000. or I think at one point there was a gap of $10,000 because – I don't. I don't have an unlimited number of pages, right? <laughs> or, I mean, or, or brilliant puzzle making friends. Exactly. Yeah. 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 I've already got the thirty of the best puzzle makers. I don't think the next group of thirty is. You know, I'm not necessarily looking beyond that point, right? And so, um, but yeah, I mean, it was uh, very surprising. Uh, made us completely reconsider all the things that we wanted to offer and the speed at which we wanted to offer them. Um, we were able to get some things to happen once we had this confidence that we were going to be able to do this thing that we wouldn't have been able to do. Like we created these um, these code pencils that have uh, all the codes that you find in puzzles and args written on the sides. So you... Um, you know, if you ever forget, you know, because because of course uh, the primary, uh, I make the joke a lot of times that the arg solvers and puzzle solvers are the single largest consumers of Braille, other than blind people. Right? Oh. I mean, you turn around and there's a Braille puzzle. I love that sitting in front of you, and you uh, you um, you go. Well, I wish I had my Braille key at this point. Um, and, uh, well, it's on your pencil. So there you go. You're set, you know, that, and we were able to make these because of the campaign got going so quickly that we could say, all right, we're willing to invest the money in getting, getting these made. Right. And things like that and things that we'll be releasing over the next few days. Um, we could not have done if we had not had that initial success. How cool. Now, um, not to downplay the importance of Maze of Games, um, because it is certainly a very cool and, and groundbreaking product, project, but I want to uh, take us back to the mid-90s, if only for a few minutes, uh, and, and gush at you <laughs> relentlessly. Oh, JC. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, just, just, uh, just, I just want to, whenever I'm given an opportunity to, to thank an entertainer or thank someone who has brought a lot of joy in my life, I make sure that I do that. And this is one of these instances where I imagine that your role as uh, one one of the creative directors uh, at Wizards of the Coast um, during the mid-90s more than likely impacted me in a positive way. And for that, I thank you very, very much. What did you do? Steve, at Steve I, to, I need to ask this question to Steve, just to be clear. Okay. Is JC going to tell me about his character now? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. 
no, no, no. no. <laughs> I have this ninth level troll paladin thief. He was awesome. No, see now, now you've embarrassed me. I mean, like, I was I was like coasting on on like good vibes, and now I'm all shy. No, no, I did a lot of role playing before uh, before the the 90s, and in the 90s I switched over to to card games and and had some right. had some fun with some tabletop games as well. Um, and and I'm certain that that your work and of course the work of your colleagues. I mean, I I know that it really impacted me positively because of the the joy that that um that Magic the Gathering and other games uh, brought to me. Uh, one of the things that um, I was really kind of um, delighted to learn about, and you told us this before the um, before the call, was that you're taking your passion for you know tabletop games and card games into a project that I'd like to talk to you briefly about, which is a Pathfinder game. Yeah. So so I, I got to be there. Um, I was one of the creative directors on um, the third edition of Dungeons and Dragons, and you know, really got to work with the greatest game designers ever um, in Monty Cook and Jonathan Tweet and, and Skip Williams and those guys. And uh, just just really loved working with those guys. And and uh, and then um, knew that the big the big consequence of leaving Wizards of the Coast and walking out on one of the best jobs in the gaming industry was that I wasn't going to get to work with those guys and, and people like them again. Well, I was completely wrong. Um, I, they all left Wizards at one point or another, and, and I got to, got to work with them again, right? So one of the places I got to work with them was um, uh, at Paizo Publishing, mm-hmm. where I got to see the rise of the Pathfinder game and uh, a brilliant job that they did. And uh, they let me put out some games with them um, in the you know late 2000s uh, for for uh, you know just uh, we, for example we did a a a fantasy themed tarot deck game that was pretty amazingly fun uh, called Harrow and so last year I came up with. Uh, with the assistance of my my really great designers and developers that work with me, I came up with this uh, system that allowed you to play to get all the experience of a role playing game um, without all the role playing. Mm-hmm. That is, all the thrilling party dynamics and and uh, uh, challenge and goal setting and story developments and character building, um, and and do it in about an hour. And because a lot of people just don't have the time to put five hours into a role playing session every week. Right. So we wanted to do something for them. I went to the Paizo guys and I said, I I like this and I think you guys would like it too. And they immediately put the Pathfinder adventure card game into production. And we're, we're, uh, it's a game where you get a deck of cards that is your character and that deck of cards will change over time. Um, you, you will get, dozens of stories to play dozens of adventures for your characters to go on and you will fight villains and you will uh there's a lot of pressure and uh, a danger set in the game you know you're you can run out of time you can die uh, your character can advance and become more powerful and uh but it's all in a card game it's all in a box and uh i don't know people seem to really really love it and so yeah that comes out this this uh summer and uh, in fact we're putting it to bed in in a couple weeks congratulations yeah it's been really brilliant i i this is the first time i've had i've had a chance to play test all of my games really thoroughly this time i had 600 (laughs) playtesters i had a forum and these people they didn't post once each 
right? They posted like 50 times each. So we had, we had something on the order of 10 to 20,000 pieces of play tester feedback that, and that just makes your game better. Yeah, no kidding. Yeah. <laughs> There's no question. One of the things that I was so excited about was when I heard about this card game. That was that was exceptionally cool. And then I then you tell me that you're working with the folks at Paizo, and that delighted me. And then I dropped a name that we're all familiar with here on the podcast, and longtime listeners of the ARG Netcast and, and our Story For It podcast know, and that was uh, Je- uh, Jessica Price, our dear friend, uh, works at, at Paizo. I collaborated with her and worked with her on um, Personal Effects Dark Art, the transmedia novel I wrote with uh, Jordan yeah. Wiseman back Back in the, yeah, back absolutely. In the 2008, that stuff's great, by the way. Oh, thank you. Uh, and 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 I hear that she's uh, polite, probably more politely, but cracking the whip over there. Uh, absolutely. For, for, <laughs> yeah. yeah. All my friends so, on Unfiction will remember so, remember yes. Jessica as Phaedra. Phaedra. On, that's in right. The early days mm-hmm. of the Unfiction forums. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Jessica, um, you know, sends me emails that begins with the words. Where are we on? <laughs> ah, I'm having I'm having PSD flashbacks to to, to 2007, <laughs> man. Oh my god! Yeah. Like, like the, the the sweetest and kindest person. She's, and, she's and, adorable. Yeah, and and yet, and yet. <laughs> I fear her. Yeah, <laughs> I fear her. I mean, she, this is great. Me, I'm gonna I'm gonna tell stories out of school right now. Right, I feel right. bad about doing this, but not so bad. Um, that uh, we were in a meeting. Um, not too long ago, and we we're doing a schedule for the last last parts of the um, production of the game, and uh, sh- we're we're there's a point where we have to come up with the final card name card, list of card names, uh-huh. and um, uh, we have just received, as I said, twenty thousand pieces of feedback that my team has to go through and figure out what we want to do, and Jessica says, okay, so can we have that? list of final list of card names uh in a week and a half and i said i think that would be a really terrible idea and she said okay so uh, we got you down for a week and a half but no no buts <laughs> yep. gotta get this thing done so yeah we gotta put, put, put the baby to bed yeah i um i mean one of the things that i admire so much about about I jessica oh don't feel, feel bad don't feel bad uh <laughs> one, one of the things i admire so much about her is that she um walks this amazing tightrope of you know professionalism uh, being a genuine ultra creative but then having this remarkable uh, project management skill that that i envy so I feel like I need to like surprise you guys and say we have on the line right now Miss Jessica Price. <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, we ought to get her on the phone sometime. <laughs> we should yeah. Call her up. Wait, we should call her up right now, you guys. Yes. <laughs> we call her up right now. Um, and she will say, "Why aren't you finishing my game? Yeah, right. Why are you on the phone with those chumps?" Right. Uh, well, exactly. well, well, Mike, this has been an exceptional conversation. We're so very grateful uh, for all the time that you've g- given us today. Oh, um, if if our listeners wanted to learn more about you, what you do, and the Kickstarter campaign for the Maze of Games, where should they go online? Um, there are two places. They should go to LoneSharkGames.com. And you can click through directly to the Maze of Games page, um, or you can just go to mazeofgames.com, and that will lead you directly to the Kickstarter page. Mike, thanks so very much for making the time. We really appreciate it. And good luck and congratulations with the incredible success with the Maze of Games Kickstarter. I really appreciate it. Thank you guys for having me on, and uh, hope we'll get a chance to do this sometime soon. (laughs) 
Mike Selinker, what an awesome guy. Isn't he great? Amazing. And, and it, you know, he has just got this remarkable career. Um, I didn't know that his work had, you know, influenced, you know, some of the games that I'd played, um, especially in the 90s, which had in, made a positive impact on me as a storyteller. So in one respect, I'm, I'm so... I'm so tickled to meet him because in a way what his work did was help inform my work. And it's always great to, to thank um, a creator when, when they've made that kind of impact on your career. Yeah. And I liked what he said again about that Rubik's cube illustration that he did about the Rubik's cube that was all the same color. Right. Um, Cause I think that's a really, really good uh, visualization of, of what good puzzle design, you know, should be like, I mean, now if I was going to channel Mike Selinker here and, and say something that he, you know, might have said when he was talking about it, I mean, uh-huh. you know, I, the, the puzzle master doesn't have to give any instructions to be fair. You know, I could just rattle off a set of words like Oolong, McPherson, Sargasso, and, and that would be a complete puzzle. You just, you just have to know what to do with it. Uh, what? Okay. <laughs> well, okay. This is this this is indeed a very intriguing uh, epilogue. So, so Steve, again, these mysterious words that are just coming to the top of your head as you channel the spirit of Mike are Oolong, McPherson, Sargasso. Oh my! And it, could you give me a little reverb with that? Would be awesome. Oolong, McPherson, Sargasso. Oh, amazing, amazing, ladies and gentlemen. Well, that will do it for uh, for this episode of uh, Story Forward. Uh, we are so very grateful that you, you spent the time listening. Uh, we will get to your listener questions in our next episode. Uh, in the meantime, I'm J.C. Hutchins. And I'm Steve Peters. And we will see you next time on the Story Forward podcast. Thanks for listening to the Story Forward podcast. If you like what you've heard, be sure to tell a friend about us. Got some feedback, a story tip, or a suggestion for a show topic? Give us a shout. You can tweet to us at Story Forward. You can join us at facebook.com slash groups slash Story Forward. You can send us an email at info at storyforward.org. Or you can always stop by our brand new home on the web at storyforward.org. That's storyforward.org. Storyforward.org.